Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Well, we move on to chapter three. Uh, breakneck speed, I think we've been in it since August. And really, as we move on to chapter three of First Corinthians, We are now on a different subject. The same subject uh, continues to the end of chapter 3. And uh, Paul is really still addressing what he spoke about early in chapter 1. About being of the same mind and unity. And then word has got to him that there is much division amongst the brethren in Corinth. And as we get into chapter 3... He continues to press into this and gives a bit more detail of the root cause. As we move through Corinthians, we'll get to see the effect of the division and the effect of not trusting the word. But at the moment, we're still in the the cause, as it were. And what's the problem? First, he tells of the problem. First, that they're joined together. Then the problem. And then he gives a, a diagnosis, as it were, of the problem. And then as we get through beyond chapter 3, into 4, 5 onwards, he gives the outworking of that disobedience as it were. And then as we end, come into the end of 1 Corinthians, which I don't know when it'll be, maybe a couple of years, I don't know. He starts giving the solution. Uh, Of course, he's given the solution throughout, uh, but he goes into more detail as we will see as we get through it. It's not that the message from others, Paul has moved on. He spent 18 months roughly in Corinth. That was the longest he'd spent anywhere. He was there for a long time. And then he moved on from there and coming from Athens to there. And then Apollos is there. Priscilla and Aquila is still there. So there's many teachers there and there's no uh, evidence. In fact, when you read this in chapter 3, that they were preaching a different message, but... It was the mindset that had changed within the camp and what else they were listening to. Um, So the message is not different that Apollos preached or some say Cephas, which was Peter. We don't even know if he was even there, but um, they were maybe drawn from that uh, type of teaching. However, of course, like all speakers, each has their own calling and gift and style. We see it here in this church. You see it if you're being part of another church. Uh, there is uh, there's different personalities. Know that personalities matters, but there's different gifts and different callings. Some are teachers, some are pastors, some are more evangelical. Some tend to uh, be more preacher style, probably like me. Some are more teacher, like Fraser. Uh, this is in this church, and then you've got everything in between, and that's what you had there as well. But it, it didn't mean that the they were bringing a different message. The church and Corinth, however, were simply picking the parts they like from Apollos, who was a a different type of speaker, a different type of thinker even, uh, because they think they're more advanced, and this is what was happening, they're they're more advanced, we're no baby Christians anymore, we're more advanced Christians. uh, Between that and then listen to false teachers, worldly philosophy, which was absolutely saturated in and around Corinth uh, at the time, Uh, And it brings with that the worldly wisdom and it creates division 
and the church when they're not listening to the same thing, nor have the same desire or the same heart. Uh, but in the Corinth church at this point, it's just, you know, it's almost like it's just too basic for us. It's, we're beyond that level now. We're more advanced now. However, as we have just read and walked through the last four or five weeks, the, the, this worldly wisdom, man's wisdom, is truly not helping them at all. Paul knew their desires. He knew that their flesh was craving not the things of God. Yet he still tell, tells them in verse 2 of chapter 2, For I determined, we, we share this scripture, it's the bedrocky much. For I determined, Crano, I've resolved, determined, I've judged myself, I've went to town in myself, as it were, as not to allow my flesh to flare up and then give you what you want, is really what he's saying. For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. And I mentioned this last week, your struggles... Uh, begin or manifest our struggles when we as a believer, as a spiritual being, if we are believers, we're spiritual. You hear this all the time, don't you? I'm not really a believer, I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean if you're not a believer? It can mean anything. It can mean you're into hugging trees and crystals for all. It does mean that. But your struggles begin or manifest when you as a believer, as a spiritual being, uh, a new creation, a son and daughter of Christ, whom has received the Holy Spirit. When you start to mix this, and this is what I said last week, when you start to mix your new creation with unspiritual, ungodly instruction and guidance for that matter, we need the word to feed us as brothers and sisters. It's our only pure food. It's the only food that will truly nourish our spirit and our soul. It's the only way we will not... Walk in the flesh. Paul never shifted from that. The temptation for Paul was to give them what they wanted. You think of the pressure that Paul was under. He says he was with them in weakness and temptation. The, the, the drive, because Paul, we have to understand that Paul is fully human as well. And uh, he, he arrives in Corinth, not exactly off the back of a good few wins in Athens. He arrives in Corinth off the back of... Um, Poor results, as it were, in Athens. People not receiving them. Uh, and he's came to Corinth and obviously it's took time. But So he understands that. But he, as you see in Paul's life in this single purpose character, it would have been easier for him to cave in to the cravings and the demands and the desires of people. And I think this is where we draw much and we'll draw much today and much learning uh, this morning. Uh, it's a bit like the, the, the petulant child. I'm sure you, you understand. I was a petulant child. I, ca I can still be a petulant child. Um, the petulant child who, who tests you to the limit to give in. To the limit they'll test you to have their own will be done. Attempting to bully parents. What is crying and huffing? But trying to bully the parents into saying yes instead of saying no. No, huffs. No, still do huffs. Doing huffs. I'm doing a huff till I get my own way. I was, I was, I was a grade A huffer. I knew how to huff. Oh, I could huff. I could huff to get my own way. You know, if I wasn't getting some, I could huff. And it's a battle of wits uh, to try and, you no, know, 
tempt and goad the parent into giving in. Often what happens, and we see it today, and it's absolutely, this is a great pandemic, a real, real pandemic today, that we see parents continually, continually submitting to the plans and desires of their children. We know it's no easy. So just, I'm not standing here going, I know it's no, it's, it's no easy. No, sometimes it's, it's just ending for a quiet life. You know, it's just, and it's no, it's just, it's, it's hard work. Paul never did. And I've been studying this this week and reflecting and spending much time uh, contemplating and, and, and meditating and praying over this very thing that I, I personally have still got much work to do on this uh, subject. I think we don't spend enough time thinking about it as a problem. Uh, Paul never did this to truly serve them in Corinth and lead them to maturity. They needed the opposite, the opposite of what they were craving. Paul tells them in verse 13 of chapter 2, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit, Spirit, Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual things. The Holy Spirit through the word lines up our spirit with spiritual things. It combines as a better word. Uh, I think Leon Morris says it, it combining, uh, I, I think it works better. It, it combines the spirit with the spirit. Our redeemed life, not the indwelling sin that lives in us, the, the, the redeemed life then lines up and starts to marry up with the word. And that drives us what? Towards godly thinking, godly pursuits. Godly mindsets, godly behaviour, godly ideas. However, when we're taught worldly, man's wisdom, that does not connect to your spirit. This is why many struggle when we were in church and in more of the pragmatic church and you didn't know why you were struggling. You didn't know why you were struggling. You couldn't identify why it wasn't quite working. It seemed to, I don't know about you, but it seemed to work for everybody else, but it never worked for me. I always left unsatisfied. It never drew me closer to God. It gave me more self-reliance, maybe more self-awareness, uh, but no more trust in God. Because what was taught when we teach man's wisdom, worldly wisdom, it doesn't connect to your spirit. You think it's connecting to your spirit. You go, oh, amen. Oh, I feel that. Oh, that's just speaking right into my life. It's no speaking into your spirit. It's speaking, it's speaking into your worldliness. That's the, that's, that's the subtlety of it. You go, wow, that's just speaking right into my life. But see, when you start that process, if you to back up and think about those times, you could, if you just had a... a like you were the outside looking in, you would realise that's not making me draw, that's not drawing me more to Christ. It's drawing me more to trust self. There's a kind of self-indulgence in it. But it doesn't feel like self-indulgence because it's certainly better than what I was saying last week, some of the nonsense. Because when we're speaking worldly things, it just connects, it does not connect to your spirit. It connects to your flesh. And that can make you feel good. 
And it can confuse you when you're immature and make you think it's the spirit. And it starts to drive our carnal life to more selfishness, self-centeredness, worldliness. As I read last week in Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 17, Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Listen, you can look to Galatians, you can look to Ephesians, here we're looking to Corinthians. Paul really doesn't have another message and he doesn't have another solution. This is what he says in Galatians 5, 17, and I know the women are going through the fruits of the Spirit, and this is just prior to this. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. See that? They don't line up. They don't marry. They don't combine. They're, they're the opposite. They divide. They are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things you wish. This is Paul saying, eh? yes, the things I don't want to do, these things I keep on doing. So we do no longer start to do the godly thing, but we start to do the fleshy, worldly thing. Worldly wisdom, man's wisdom, feeds the flesh and drives us away from God. This is why we must, even when people and fellow brothers are screaming for the flesh to be satisfied, the church in Corinth are screaming for Paul to satisfy them. They're not shouting, satisfy me, but everything they're doing, everything that they're pursuing, everything that they're thinking, their whole posture and reactions is saying, feed my flesh. We can relate that to, as I mentioned, kids. Everything in them saying, feed my flesh. And when you deny that, it can make your flesh feel uncomfortable. You're having to crucify your own flesh by no pleasing their flesh. Some of are better at it than others. Some of are awful. And that's just putting it bluntly. See, Fraser wouldn't preach like that, you know. But some of us are just awful. Because we don't work in learning to say no. Because we're not crucifying our own flesh first. And our own flesh, no being crucified, can't stop satisfying their desires. Paul's not in that position. But he's had to determine not to be in that position. It doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally to him. Because everything in it, you ever deny your son or your daughter or your wife or your you ever deny somebody and you just know and sometimes it's much more subtle. And you're in a battle at times. You're in an internal battle. Because you've got to deal with the feeling of rejection. You've got to deal with them falling out with you. You've got to deal with them no liking you. You've got to manage the pain they're putting on you. You've got to manage your own pain. We must not yield to our own flesh. To bring carnal comfort to others. I know the world today calls it love. And even a Christian will call it, well, have I not to love? Yeah, but you're reinventing love. You're reinventing love to suit your flesh. Just as a parent who yields to the demands of a child does not do what? Train up a child in the way they should go and what? When they're old, they won't depart from it. It's predominantly give the child what they want. And when they're old, they'll always be a what I want monster. We know coping skills when the answer's no. We see this all the time, not again yet. Children then grow up. They move out. Listen, we know we're learning. Some of you have got, just, just to put a buffer out here for some grace. Some of you are saying, I wish I could restart. 
okay? Could we just start again? <laughs> we would all love to restart again, wouldn't we? And we have to put that buffer out to parents and go, oh no. Because if we used to get this, and we'd, we'd talk about this stuff and go, I'm a failure. I'm a total failure. You're, well, when you know better, you do better. Or you ought to do better. But when you didn't know any better, how do you know? So we have to just learn and trust God with the things that we got wrong. So just as a parent used to the demands of a child, to, they end up not teaching them to follow the ways of God. And then in years to come, the child moves on to adolescence, then adulthood. And then they cannot comprehend you. You're absolutely ill-equipping young people for their life. Because they've just been told yes their whole life. And then they get into the... I, I, I worked in the building trade. I've always worked in the building trade. I've never had another job other than this, other than the building trade. It is ridiculously unforgiving. Ridiculously unforgiving. It's ridiculously harsh. It's no near as harsh now as it used to be. I mean, now it's nimsy-pamsy. You get picked up and dropped off and have just eats and all that. It's, it wasn't like that. I mean, it was a nightmare. I mean, you were lucky if you get spoke to. Never, never mind had a relationship with the, the, the workers. I mean, you were in the back. For me, I was in the back of the van. Even when there were a seat in the front. <laughs> Seriously. Even when there's a seat. There's two seats in the front of the van. You've no earned the seat in the front. Oh, okay. Now, you can imagine how ill-prepared you are for that. When you've been pampered to death in life. It's absolutely hopeless. And this is the battle. Give them what they want. And what's causing them is causing them to remain immature. It's no, they remain weak. An inability to handle things. An inability to cope with things. An inability to cope with other people's rejection. We truly have a pandemic of adolescent, teenage and even adult babies. It's quite ugly when you see an adult Christian baby in it. You know, phew, big baby. And we see it. We can be it, can we? Who still can't handle life and things that affect them. The only solution that they have away from the pain is feed my flesh and make me feel better. Which predominantly is what the church does. Because predominantly... Here I go, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Predominantly, pastors are too insecure to tell the truth. And they're frightened if the numbers won't come to the church. So they would rather have bums and seats and tell people what they want to hear. There is that element, you go, well, we've got to be patient with people. And that's true. Patient, patience is no substitute for admitting truth. No substitute. It creates this selfish, self-centred, me show. No one else matters but my feelings. And often on the back of that, there is a, a wealth of parents not being determined to do anything but satisfy the lust and the demands of the cries and to feed my flesh. It's hard, isn't it, parents? It's hard. I tell you, it's harder. Watching your grown-up child absolutely being ill-equipped for life, that's more painful when it comes. You go, oh, that's more worrisome. That's more daunting. 
You go, oh no, how are they going to cope? I was talking to a woman the other day. She's a lovely woman, mean Fraser was talking to her and she just says, eh, she was out working, she's working, keep my house going and out working. And she says, have you any jobs for my son? I says, well, no at the moment. She says, how? He says, well, he says, he's, he says, I can't get him out of his bed. I says, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> She said, I can't get him out of his bed. He said, she says, I came to work yesterday and I found out he never bored getting up. He's 16. There's no helping, is it? We get that that's a tough gig with parents, eh? I just say, it's no trying, because I don't know the women. I'm not going to go like Listen to the words of Paul. She's not a believer. But just to humour her about, I says, is his room tidy? Whoa! Honestly, you might have seen that. Is his room tidy? You might you mentioned that for a teenager. It's a great leveller for parents. All parents think, oh, I can't get them to tidy up after them. Bomb scare, innit? There's a wealth of parents not being determined to do anything but to satisfy the lusts and demands of the flesh. And this is a wonderful thing. As you come to know Christ, the parents end up learning, going, I'm actually satisfying my lusts of the flesh by feeding their lusts of the flesh. Only, only what does it do? Starves their soul. And starves your soul. Because it's often our flesh that's driven to the yes. There's a battle. And it's a battle we need to all recognise. But not just in parenting. Amongst brothers and sisters. Amongst each other as we talk to each other. Amongst even shallow friendships. I was talking to somebody the other day. And they've, they've obviously got, there's a tension between them and a work colleague. And uh, the tension's been there. And, and they kind of bumped into each other and it went from tension to utter flattery. Uh, doesn't, that, doesn't that just violate you? Do you, ever, do, you ever, do you ever walk away thinking, I just violated myself there. Now we're not going up and going, listen, let's have a fight. But often the opposite of that is selling yourself short and feeding the person something that's no helpful. Now we shouldn't be doing that, never mind. We shouldn't be doing that, not just we believers. I don't believe we should be living that life with anybody. But we do, didn't we? Well, unfortunately, I certainly do at times. And this is, I think, a brilliant subject to be in for us to learn and grow through that and get better at those conversations because we think they're not causing damage. They're causing grave damage and it's multifaceted damage and we'll get in and talk about that. The battle we need to recognise for the sake of both our own soul and that of others. How often do we simply just feed people what the flesh craves? How often do we simply just go along with their lie? And sometimes you're not feeding the flesh, you're just going along with a lie. You ever talk to somebody, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ here, predominantly, but not exclusively. And you just know what they're saying is what they've bought into. In fact, I'm not even sure they believe it, but they're certainly selling you it. And you just go, oh, well, that's good. Oh, the best. Brilliant. Oh, have you ever pretended to be shocked? Oh, that's terrible. You don't, you don't feel it's terrible. You ever do that? Am, am I just talking? Has anyone ever deal with that stuff? You're talking to somebody, you're, is it? That's a shame. Oh, that's terrible. And what you're actually saying, you're the one who needs to deal with that. 
Do you ever think that? But you're, but you're too empathetic. It's not that we shouldn't have compassion. But you're almost buying into their unwillingness. And you're just going, really? Ah, oh, ah. Oh. And you walk away. Often what happens is you walk away and then go and speak to a more mature brother like that. They're not dealing with anything. You're like, well, what did you not speak to them for? Just go along with a lie. Go along with delusion. Hoping someday, somehow, some way, the penny will drop. Paul didn't live like that. Paul's like that. I'm dropping the penny for day one. I'm living for dropping pennies. I'm not living for a relationship where someday, somehow, some way, it might lead to a better relationship where we can actually live in the same mind, in the same heart, in the same spirit. I'm living like we in day one. Now that doesn't mean to say I'm going to be heavy handed. He's not trying to lead people beyond their level of maturity. And I think we have to challenge ourselves in this crano, this determine. Often we have to say in all our relationships, I believe in what I believe is detrimental here, instrumental and detrimental. And this lesson here is, is that we have to assess our relationships at times and go, how brotherly and sisterly, how authentically godly am I being in that relationship or how much am I just blowing smoke because I know they can't handle it and they're almost bullying me with their emotions yeah that's quite deep in it we must at times determine not to give in no matter how unpopular it's that you've got to manage your own emotions your own fear your own stuff and you sometimes think, if I go any further here, then total flattery and burn up and empathy and gushing and feeling what they feel, if I go any more than this, this is not going to go well. Now the problem that starts happening, I'm getting ahead of myself here, is when you've got a portion of people that do that and a portion of people that don't. <laughs> this is where it becomes problematic. Because what happens is, is then the people in the church start to pick who, who they don't like to hear from. I like to hear from them. They tell me what I want to hear. I don't like listening to them because they never tell me what I want to hear. Creates division. This is what's happening in Corinth. We must... It's not that they were hearing the wrong stuff. We must also must know... Feed them who feed them. Okay? Now what I mean by that is it's, it's also our brotherly and sisterly ob obligation to feed our brothers and sisters in a way, i.e. if they're feeding people wrong, we have to be willing to have a scary conversation and say, we think you're feeding them wrong. They, they'll, they'll probably hate that. But we're not helping. The Corinths were feeding new believers their own carnal message. That's what the Corinth believers were doing. They were so immature in their faith, they were so fully the flesh, that they're now feeding other young believers or non-believers their lack of overcoming fleshy message. That's got a snowball effect in the church. Because they themselves were no crucifying the flesh themselves. And when we don't crucify the flesh ourselves, the message that we put on to others is our untamed, uncrucified, unsanctified message 
What we see in the church today in most council and 12-step programs is that God has now been counseled by us. We counsel God. A God of your own understanding is you counselling God. Because you're picking and choosing the God that you want. I know at the beginning I was part of all that, you know, a God of my own understanding, and it was a stepping stone, but no safe person would have a God of their own understanding. No safe person's got a God of their own understanding. No safe person. That's why predominantly in 12-step programs and these things, long term they don't work. Because if you're still there and you've still got a God of your own understanding, you're counselling God. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this, For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When we operate in the Spirit, we operate in the mind of Christ. We do His will. We don't satisfy the lusts of the flesh. But when we operate in the flesh, when the message we hear and desire stimulates the flesh, we go from being led by the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth, to creating our own truth, and then creating God in our likeness and image. This is what's happening in effect in Corinth. And as you look through the whole letter, you see it. This is what's happening. To counselling God and turning God into their own image. We see it in the church today is shaped by carnal, uncrucified, sinning believers. It's also what we are seeing in the world continually. They're starting to determine God. What is good? What is right? What is God? I even heard, I'm, I'm almost loath to tell you this story. I've seen a Church of England minister in, and the reason I'm, I'm struggling to tell you is because it's so bad. And I had to contemplate whether I would even say it. Because it is so blasphemous. It is so corrupt. That you almost, I, I, was, I was saying, should I even mention this? And I'm not trying to create drama here. You'll hear it. I'm not going to tell you. For, for the sake of the, the message and the sake of what was happening in Corinth. And the sake of what the world's like today. This is what I heard a Church of England minister say while preaching on a platform. Okay? No having an interview on a platform. Jesus at times, and I'm quoting word for word what he says. Jesus at times embraced his transgender side. End quote. I nearly fainted. I cannot believe that somebody would say that for the platform. I'm actually shocked that he never gets struck just dead in the spot. I could not believe it. I never, I could not listen to his explanation the rest. That was enough. We compare our flesh. That's what he's saying. It's his flesh to his flesh. No, his spirit to his spirit. I, I don't believe MD saved it would say that in the first place. Uh, never mind, never mind saved, but, but trust in the flesh. I don't even believe they're saved at saying that in the first place. But the flesh, though, is controlling us, and we are starting to cave into the demands of others. That's what's happening in the church today. They're caving into the demands of the world to give the world the message they want. That's what's happening. That's what's happening in the Church of Scotland, everywhere. Has it helped? Go and look at the numbers in the Church of Scotland. You can see if it's helped. It's no helped. 
The average age in the Church of Scotland is about 75. That's how little it's helped. Women preaching, now they've got transgender, gay marriage, all that stuff. Now, I'm not saying that's a worse thing than anything else. It's all sin. But they've embraced it. Because the world demands it. Is that any different, really, from a child saying, I want a gun? No, a kid on gun. A real gun. It's no different. It's messing with God's word. It's messing with people. The carnal, predominantly unbelievers in the church, social Christians, they're embracing it because it's less challenging to their sin. It's not the same as maybe you're saying, well, I'm not saying what I just said there about that minister. I'm not willing to repeat it again. I'm not doing as bad as that. But that's maybe the case. But when our carnal life start to dictate who Jesus is and what he's no and what truth is and what it's no and how we feed a believer and how we don't feed a believer, you are in the same ballpark. It's easy to look at that and go, that's miles out, I'm no like that. Isn't it? It's, it's, isn't it easy? it's easy to talk about the sins you've beat. I heard, I think it was uh, one of the ministers at the, the Banner Conference can't even remember his name. These guys will remember his name. Um, but he's, he, was, he was a Canadian minister and that's what he said. It's easy to crucify and it's easy to talk about the sins that you've crucified, isn't it? What are the sins you've known? Anyone who stands on God's platform or a mature believer who ought to be teaching by now, is what Paul's saying. You ought to be teaching by now. Who's still satisfying either the lusts or the lusts of others. It's no a million miles away for that minister standing and saying that. You might manoeuvre it, but it's no. If you're a true believer and you're feeding people carnal desires, you're no a million miles away from that. That's shock value, but it's true. Standing in God's platform, a mature believer. Being a noose around the neck of a, a young believer or even no a believer. Sharing a false God. Paul, due to this immaturity and these desires, brings a rebuke in chapter 3. Let me read the first four verses of chapter 3. I'm not sure what depth we'll get through to these, but we'll, we'll start working our way through them in the little time I've got left. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able <coughs> for you're still carnal, for where there is envy, strife and division among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am Paul, and another, I am Apollos, are you not carnal? Amazing, just portion of scripture there, isn't it? Paul is rebuking the church in Corinth, but notice how he starts. Aye, brethren. If you've got an ESV, it'll say, aye, brothers. So it's a rebuke, but it's in love. He's, he's uniting them in love. It's no rebuke where he feels he's no part of the same family. And often what happens is, is we think rebukes is known love, but it is. And that doesn't mean to say just because you say brother and then rebuke, it's love. You, know that, you can fire out that word and it doesn't mean anything. The Corinth, 
Corinthians think Paul's message is, as I say, too basic. But Paul is saying the reason it's basic, the reason it's so basic, the reason we can't go beyond the basics, not that we should ever go that beyond the basics, but there's more. And he's saying the reason I can't go beyond the basics is because you're not mature for anything else. If I went beyond that, you would warp it, but you already are. Your foundation's warped in the first place. The reason you know the foundation's warped in the first place, because see the minute a problem starts, they act as if they're not saved. Now, I don't want to alarm some of you here or bring his identification. But sometimes when problems start, you're almost like, ah, as a pastor, I'm talking to believe like, I'm sometimes like, are you even saved? It's almost like that. And that's what Paul's like. The proof is in the pudding. The moment they go beyond the basics, their flesh runs riot. Of course, it's know that they are getting on to deeper things with God, but worldly philosophy. Again, I've been saying this much of the modern church keeps moving away from the word towards nothing more than modern psychology. We did. That in turn feeds the flesh and starts to redefine God. Paul is not saying in the first verse, I could only feed you worldly wisdom. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying I could only feed you worldly wisdom. But more to the point, even though you're spiritual, even though you're saved, because he's saying brethren, you're not acting as if you are. You're not acting beyond the very Kathy and Mark, Dick and Dora, maybe books you got in primary one. You're not acting beyond that. Because your immaturity and your lack of foundation, it keeps on hijacking anything beyond that. Remember a few years ago, it's not a few, it's about six or seven years ago, I was in a church in Glasgow. It was an event. And I knew the pastor and it, and it was obvious in the event there were loads of new believers because I was sitting next to them. And this is the event's no started, you know, it's like the warm-ups. Let's have a warm-up, what do you think? As a support band. I think it's coming on, Queen. You know what I mean? And, it, and he says, we're having a warm-up, but the warm-up was... The warm-up wasn't a dance or a, some Canadian Mountie jumping about with ugly shoes. No, it wasn't that. It was, uh, the warm-up was getting groups of five or six and start prophesying each other. I nearly fainted. This is before we were reformed and I nearly fainted. And I was, uh, there were these two younger, a younger woman and an older woman. And it was either obvious that they were either just saved or not quite saved. And they were forced into this fake prophesying. They felt they had to or they were inadequate. No, what's your name? Where are you from? As if you were Peter Kay at a stand-up comedy show. Uh, what's your name, where are you from? What do you mean, what's my name and where am I from? Has the Holy Spirit not told you that? Joke. <laughs> and it started, and this went on for about an hour. All these young believers, with almost no foundational roots in the gospel. You know, you go to most churches today, and you ask a believer, give me the basics of the gospel, they wouldn't be able to explain it to you. They couldn't tell you the basics of the gospel. They say, could you explain to me what it means to be salvation? What, 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 what's the doctrines of grace? Just the simple basic foundations. Well, 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 nothing. The same people, 
And we've had them, and we've had people in this church, and the people in this church. These same people that couldn't give you a foundation of what the gospel is are, are, are running through prayer tunnels. What is that then? There was a video a couple of weeks ago, and it was young people doing the Congo while the Canadian Mountie worship band was playing. You know what I mean by Canadian Mountie? All that, all that nonsense, right? And they were all dancing, and they were this Canadian, all that stupid dancing, and there were these young people doing the Congo. Oh, I'll kick out of that grave. <laughs> so I sent a post and I just says, that's no young people worshiping God. That's young people just having a good time in the world. Well, it started this hullabaloo. It is what it is. And it's this. They've moved them on. They don't even know the foundations of the gospel. And they've moved them on to something else. And their flesh is now manifesting. You've got... Christians who barely know the word, who are prophesying to men who have been walking with the Lord for 50 years. Really? I'm not saying age is the issue here. Maturity is the issue. I know some really old, immature people. I'm at this event and these people are let loose on people. It was an open mic thing. I knew, because I'd been to them before, I thought, he'll be up shortly. Needy man, he'll be up shortly. Seen, I seen a champagne bottle getting caught or something like that. No, he'll be up shortly, because he's up, and it, the guy's not even looking. This is how immature it is, and I'm not trying to mock it. He's got one eye in the crowd and one eye in the pastor for approval. I'm like, you know what, the last thing you need is a mic. It's abuse. It's feeding the flesh. You start speaking the spirit into these people, they start growing, you speak the flesh into people, it's only going to connect with the flesh, and they're going to need to perform. It's unbiblical. It's unbiblical to get into a group and start prophesying. Immaturity starts running riot. Paul has to speak to them as babes in Christ, lest their flesh, which is still very prominent in their lives, start to be fed. I know Andrew's in Ephesians, I think you're in Ephesians 4 with the youth, are you? Ephesians 4.14, I don't know what, what, what scripture you're in, but this is, I, I don't know where you're at, but this is where I'm at. This is what it says, that you should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind and doctrine and the trickery of men. That trickery of men in the Greek word is, it's, it's the word for dice. It means that they're throwing dice and just guessing. You ever been in one of their churches? It's like throwing dice, get, get, guess the prophecy. I don't know if I'm right here, I'm giving it a go. I had a woman prophet saying this, I'm not sure if I'm right here, but at least I'm having a go. Or you're throwing dice, wondering, wondering what's going to come up. The trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We went through Ephesians, this is what I wrote in the verse when we went through. False teaching, man's own wisdom and ideas will not make the body healthy. It will not equip you for Christ's ministry and not make you more like Christ. Today, so much of the teaching does not build believers to be united. But causes division because they are being led by the trickery and ideas of man. Jesus has never been more reinvented. This is about two and a half years ago I wrote this. Jesus has never been more reinvented and the church has never been more unlike the biblical church than it has in the last 10 years, end quote. I would add that. I would add something in the last two years, it's get worse. 
Where's it went from the 10 years to two years when you've got that minister reimagining? However, know that just because young believers may not know much, and I know Andrew with the youth is not predominantly always speaking to believers, but he's still, he's, he's still speaking the things of God. Some of them are believers. Just because young believers may not know much does not mean that you should change the message to suit their largely carnal part of their life. And we have to learn that. One of the things that happened when our church changed and the word was found was that them who were carnal and no believers left because it was they weren't getting fled and stimulated and that's understandable, that's fine. No. Then them it came and get saved were young believers and at the time we were early and we're going we knew stuff would go over their head to an extent now you want to keep it at the fundamentals but the same note you have to crucify your own flesh because they've still got a lot of flesh we all have but because they're young in their faith everything in them kind of craves a more carnal message because some stuff is just like that. <laughs> That's why you have to resolve to know nothing. And the penny drops and they start speaking to them and they learn and they grow. Paul still spoke the gospel. Again, we need to resolve. Yes, we need to know speak beyond our capacity. And sometimes you will at times, but as long as you're following that up. But never either carnality. Don't have to speak beyond our capacity but never to their carnality. And one of the battles that Christians have is, is because young believers don't have the capacity, they automatically go and speak to their carnality. Capacity does not equal carnality. Paul is not saying I need to speak worldly. He's saying indeed to keep you, I need to keep it more basic. Lest many of you corrupt it. Because... You keep feeding your flesh and mixing it with the spirit. And that's why you're no maturing. Think of the times you're desiring your flesh to be fed. Or your reoccurring carnal desires keep one satisfied. I would say this and people would say this to me. Honest, and I'm not making it about me. And people that know me will say this. Especially the elders will say, Mark's a bit like a broken record. I'm ridiculously repetitive. I'm not repetitive like that. We've got it. You're still rattling on about it. Okay, I've got the message. And I'm like, in my spirit. No, you've not. If you had the message, you wouldn't be keep on making the same mistakes. You obviously don't. And they have people can have the message at a shallow level, but it doesn't affect them in the struggle at a deep level. So they keep on going and doing it. And Paul is ridiculously repetitive. They're like, oh. This is what the Corinthians like, oh, here comes Paul. Basic message. Heard it all before. We've heard it all right. Have you ever been in that place where somebody's explaining the fundamentals of God to you because your flesh has went rogue and you're just going, I don't want that. I don't want to hear that. And immaturity just kicks in. You talk to your child. It's like talking to your child, isn't it? And you're getting them around and they just go... <laughs> They're not in it, they just, right, okay. So banging on.
But the problem is, is sometimes people are acting like they've never been saved. It's like, hold on a minute, can you at least get some Jesus into the conversation here? It's no, I can't. Eh? It's just so childish. I can't. Eh? I just, I want that. Can, can we get some perspective and get Jesus into the conversation here, please? See, I'm, 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 I, 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 I bang on a lot. And uh, I think it's important. You get a child to repeat back what you say. It doesn't mean anything, you know. Just tell me, what, what did I tell you? I tell me I've no way to do it. Do you think that's it? That's not enough. They're just repeating back what you've said. Paul is to the Corinthians a bit like a, a broken record. They think they get it, but it's obvious they don't. Because their life doesn't line up with that. The issue is the flesh keeps finding other means to feed itself. Doesn't it? See, when the flesh runs riot and then the word comes, you're just like, I'm going to find another means to feed the flesh. It's like running away from the word. The word's a narrow path. The Corinthian church don't like this narrow path message that Paul's bringing. And your flesh hates a narrow path message. Your flesh hates a narrow path message. Your flesh wants a wide, narrow Broadway. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, in the, in the, in the literature, as, as you walk through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is what it says, and I'll, I'll quote what it says. I just remembered it there. It says, why don't you join us in the broad highway? Go and find that in the Bible. Join us in the broad highway. No, wide is the path that leads to destruction and many follow, but narrow is the path and narrow is the way that leads to salvation if you find it. Broad highway. The flesh will do almost anything to hold on to its wants. It can handle almost anything. See, when you're in that place in immaturity, your flesh can handle almost anything but the word. It's the only thing it can't handle. It's the one thing the flesh can't stomach. It's the life of a believer in the word. Now you would think that's music to believers' ears, wouldn't you? It is music to your spirit. But it's no music to your flesh. As you keep speaking the word into a true believer, the heart starts to stimulate and drive us towards godly things. This is what, we've been in this in Richard Sibbs. Richard Sibbs, the heavenly doctor and his teachings on successful seekers says this when the heart knows once the heart has enough from heaven words has enough from heaven he adds the heart by the work of it by the work it has of itself speaks to itself and the whole man seek God and what Sibs is saying as we've talked about is as you start to speak the word into a believer's life it stimulates the spirit and eventually it's like a spark it connects and that spark connection that drives you further into spiritual things. The problem is, is that we speak flesh things into believers. And all that does is keep sparking the flesh. When we start engaging our hearts to the word, our hearts start to hunger more for the word. That's why Paul won't resolve to talk about anything else. What happens in the church is they start to talk about other things because they want to stimulate people. No, they're not happy. 
We're not getting enough cheers here. We're not getting enough amens. We're not getting enough standing ovations. We're not getting enough victory laps. They're not happy. Their faces are stripping them. We've got to get them joy. We want to get them back next week. We want... That's what happens. Because in Corinth they were... The problem is they were no lining their spirit with the word. Taking every thought captive. Line it up with the word of God. And because they weren't taking the word captive and line it up to the word... Word of God and taking their life captain line up to the word of God, sorry. They weren't even maturing. Paul in effect is saying, we're still here, are we? You ever had a conversation with somebody like that? And they're dead stubborn. Usually, in a, listen, maybe you've been, I've been both. We're still here, are we? Is this, really? You ever have that? Really? Really? We're still here? We're back to here? Where have you been for the last five years? Oh, I can't help it. We're back here? Because nothing's connected with the Spirit. Even in verse 2, Paul says, and you're still no able. The Greek word here is dunamai. You've maybe heard it before. It's where we get the word dynamite from. You're still no able. You still don't have any power. Where power comes from. You still don't have any dynamite. There's no, no spark happening in your life still. Meaning, power. 16th century English theologian Richard Hooker says they are still looking for synthetic substitutes, end quote. Is that no brilliant? Get a badge saying that. No. Synthetic substitutes, isn't it? There's nothing, there's nothing worse than, some of you are going like that, I quite like synthetic cream. I do, I quite like it in a cream ring, but I don't like it in anything else, right? Synthetic cream, everything artificial. Synthetic substitutes. A Christian who's looking, no for the word, Carnal things is looking for a synthetic substitute. That substitute is causing them to what? Remain immature. How does Paul know they're immature? And as I bring this in, how does Paul know they're immature? Well, obviously he's got a letter, but the letter doesn't say, I'm writing from the household of Chloe that they're dead immature and acting childish. He doesn't say that. He just says, that there's division, verse 3 and 4. For you're still carnal. For where there is envy, strife and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving, behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am Paul, and another, I am Apollos, are you not carnal? Envy, zealous. Now, zealous can be a positive word. Simon is zealous. It can be a positive word. Here, Paul's using a negative. He's meaning, he's meaning intensely jealous. Intensely comparing. Show me a comparing Christian and I'll show you an immature Christian. Show me a comparing, competing Christian and I'll show you an immature believer. The church is full of comparing and competing. In fact, some of the model is to compare and compete. I remember we had a, a guy who came here and spoke, known as a Bible teacher, and he says one of the healthiest things you can have in your church is competing. At the time, we didn't know any better. Shockingly, didn't know any better. He came a few years later, and honestly, it was it was, it was, it was carnage for the poor man. Because he still said that stuff. But we knew the word. Campaign. That's what they were doing in Corinth. Fighting over things, being selfish, being self-centered. The Corinth see it as striving for things. They're striving for their own thing. Think of the modern, pragmatic church. No, the seeker-friendly, the ultra-modernist go-girl go church. So striving. 
striving for self-fulfillment. But it's the opposite of oneness and unity. Basically and simply, Calvin calls it this, the fruit of the flesh. So it is. It's the fruit of the flesh. The other word here is strife. Eris. It's like error, but eris. Quarrelling. Internal or external debating. An immature believer, you ever at that place? You know you're not listening to the word when you're sitting, you're going, I'm arguing with him in my head. I'm just having an internal debate with the preaching or the word or whatever. Quarrelling, internal, external debating, wrangling, uncoupling. Immaturity always has a singular thing going on. There's no we, it's me. The best way it's described is uncertain infinity. Uncertain affinity. You ever get that? No, you've got an affinity with people, you've got a close bond. And then when you're immature and your flesh is flaring up, always when your flesh flares up, you start having an uncertain affinity. I don't really, I'm not really connecting here. You hear that with immature people? I'm not really, I, I'm, I, I'm not really getting anything out of this. That's the kind of language. Uh, depends if you're in the right church or not, I suppose. I'm not really getting anything out of this. And No, I, I'm, uh, they seem to be into that and into that. And there is clicky stuff in churches. Mature believers have one mind. They have a combined affinity. They might not be in the same problem or the same battle. They might not even have the same call in ministry, but they've got the same affinity together. Corinth immaturity were all about one-upmanship. Deciding who they liked and didn't. Is there anything more immature in the church than actually deciding who you like and don't like? This is how Paul knows. How does he know they're immature? Because this is how they're behaving. Some say I'm Paul, some say I'm Apollos. I know you're immature when you start picking and choosing that stuff. I know it's the flesh. Deciding who they liked and didn't. Didn't they like Paul? Didn't they see Paul as a fellow worker? Which is Gordon T. Feepens. Is evidence that they are yet still living from the old age point of view. Basically the old man. As if they weren't saved at all. As we conclude Paul brings it back to chapter 1 of verse 12. This is it's all the same thing. Chapter 1, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 1, 12. Now I say this, that each of you say, I am Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Which is making them pick and choose. And then he says this, 1 Corinthians 3, 4, he's lining it up. He's, we've walked through all this. For when one says, I am Paul, and another say, I am Apollos, are you no carnal? When we decide what we want to hear and how we want to hear it, and decide who we like and don't like in the body, it's carnal. It's us living as if we're no saved. It's living for flesh. John MacArthur writes it this way in his commentary. Division can only occur when there is selfish, fleshy, immature people who cooperate only with those leaders and fellow believers with whom they happen to agree or personally appeal to them when they flatter them, end quote. Is that no phenomenal? I just, and I will close with this, which brings us back to the start. You're a flatterer. Can I tell you, see if you're a flatterer and a constant flatterer, you're not helping the body. See if you're a flatterer. I've been bothered with flatterers for a long time. 
I've had tension with flatterers for a long time because flatterers hijack the truth. And what flatterers do is flatterers create division. Because what it does is flatterers appeal to the flesh of a believer. And then, you know, they would the, pastors and ministers, this is not about me, I wish it was somebody else saying this. Pastors and ministers would be much less attacked if there weren't so many flatterers within the body. There's that many flatterers in the body that when you decide to tell the truth, you're just too harsh. But see, if we were all just telling the truth, and I mean in love, which Paul said at the beginning, then it would stop the flesh and the immature believers from picking and choosing what they like. You show me a church where there's loads of division, and I'll show you a church where there's flatterers and where there's too much flattery. Usually in the modern church, flattery is, I'll give you a platform for 10 minutes. And it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Women, men and children get the platform and they flatter them. And there's so much flattery. And all you're doing is flattering people's flesh. And feed their carnal desires. And it causes division. And they start to resent the word. And name it, bring it. Brothers and sisters, this matters not whether you're just an immature believer and you're just saved or not. You know, and you're a more bubbly, petal-throwing person. If you're a flatterer, it's your flesh that's making you a flatterer. It's not your spirit. You're not a flatterer by personality. Okay, you might think you're. You're not a flatterer by personality. You're a flatterer by default. And it's no helpful. They usually find each other. The flatterers and the truth tellers usually find each other. We need that does not mean to say that we shouldn't encourage one another. But know this, you're no helping a fellow brother and sister in Christ. Because what will happen is their flesh will seek you out. Who do you avoid when your flesh is flaring up, brothers and sisters? Who do you avoid the most? Who do you like to praise the most? Who do you like to cheer on the most? I know who you like to cheer on the most. The flatterer. The underdog. Of course you do. Your flesh loves that. I love that we've got brothers and sisters in Christ when they get flattered because they're, they're, they're much more gentle. They say, please don't flatter me. You're no help. It's patronising. It's your flesh that's flattering me. Over the years, I say I've been at pains because they just make truth more hard to swallow. They're just making truth more hard to swallow. And if we were all of the same mind and the same heart and the same spirit, yes, in love, no being harsh. You know, them, it was bringing worldly philosophy and causing traps and the false teachers that was entering into the church in Corinth was just creating a nightmare for Paul. Because then when they go and tell the truth, oh, it's too easy for people to take resentments. It's too easy for people to take resentments and no look intently at the mirror about the flesh. Because there are too many different messages. There's the flatterers and the, the praising and the fleshy. Let's speak the truth in love. That we're of the same mind, the same heart. Leading people to maturity.
is exactly where Paul's at there. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.